Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff. Grown Up Stuff. Welcome to Really Good Shares. I'm AJ. In this podcast, I want to expand the definition of recovery and talk with people I want to learn from who have valuable insights into how to get better, even if they haven't figured it all out. You'll hear a mix of interviews and storytelling contributions about making it through hard times. And what do you need to get through hard times? Strength which is the subject of today's episode, but it's also about perseverance and emotional growth, along with growth in your deltoids, because early sobriety or any sort of recovery requires a reservoir of strength, something I found were inaccessible right away, something I was convinced I would never attain. I would always be a kitten-armed weakling, but also, and this is what bothered me the most, weak-minded. Today, I brought on Casey Johnston, author of one of my favorite newsletters. She's a beast. Casey used to write this column for the hairpin called Ask a Swell Woman, whose founder, Edith Zimmerman, we had on as a guest in episode eight, if you'd like to listen to that. Casey has a very nuts and bolts approach to working out, same way I hope to approach my mental health. I've incorporated a lot of new things into my life that are part of me now, my meditation, my journaling, prayers, and recovery meetings. But I haven't incorporated working out as much as I'd like. And, and that's what I'm drawn to in Casey's work. She's brought this into her life. And I find that what she does very inspiring, but not intimidating. And I want this to be part of my life or actually a part of me, same way that meditation is at this point. I, I want to be able to do squats in my backyard right next to my finches. That's a 2022 goal. So I recently interviewed Casey with a small bow, and here's a quote that I love that's very relatable. If I'm not failing ever, that is to say, for instance, trying to squat a particular weight and not completing it, letting the weight fall to the safety bars, I'm probably shortchanging myself. If I don't do this, I'm not facing, as a startup would say, my growth opportunities. Strength is having enough generosity to yourself to say, I want this thing, and my efforts to succeed are not going to work 100 or 80 or even 40% of the time. I might not even get the thing that I want ultimately. 
but the cost of learning to fail are so vastly outweighed by what I gain from trying. That is the expanded definition of recovery I'm always mewling about at the top of this show. Learning how to fail, accepting failure, and continuing to move forward. Casey was only recently a full-time swole person. She's a journalist. And before migrating full-time to building what I think will basically be her own media company, she was a culture editor at Vice. And surprise, if you know anything about Vice, she was laid off within the year, but she's moved on and is doing just fine. Strong as an ox. There are a few different components to our interview. Some of it's completely gym nerdy because me, your humble recovering drug addict and fuck up, was at one time a certified personal trainer in the state of Pennsylvania. I was 24, maybe. I was young, stupid. I went to tanning beds, etc. But my intention was warped. In early 2000s, I think I was, I, I wanted to have my arms and shoulders to look jacked in a black t-shirt. I was satisfied with my results for a long period of time. But then I got sober and realized that all those dumb, dumb exercises I were doing were not making me any stronger. And strength, that's what I want. But Casey doesn't consider what she does as strength training. Somebody who doesn't know me could accuse me of, like, being too into strength training. But, like, I'm, I'm really not. Mm. Right now, I actually work out five days a week. But it's like an upper body split. You only do upper body three days a week, only lower body two days a week. So it's like about the same as going three days a week, training your whole body at once. And then you have like your rest time and rest time is extremely necessary and valuable. Your eating, which is very necessary and valuable. I decided that I wanted what I saw. Like, I started seeing more strong people online, and I wanted what they seemed to have, which was that they ate a lot, and they didn't work out that much, and they felt really good about themselves, and they had, like, a nice community that supported doing these activities that were where what you looked like was at least, like, secondary. It was not the most important thing about what they were doing. Getting into strength training meant having to be like, I'm not good at this. I'm learning to do this, and I'm going to mess it up a lot in front of other people and that's embarrassing but I want the thing that it's going to give me enough that I'm going to like I can sort of put up with that growth experience right I can do this thing and it's okay to fail that's that's just what growing in life is my definition of strength used to be like a real grace under fire thing where you could kind of cope with anything. You could just like take anything in and like internalize and and get through it and bear it. I feel like that was even maybe the classical strong woman that you would see in media was somebody who just like never showed any sign of stress, could just like get through anything. But the more that went on, And the more the sort of cultural conversation evolved around women and feminism and the way we, like, expect them to take a lot on that they don't necessarily deserve to deal with, my thinking around it started to change a lot. There still is a lot of pressure to, like, be a very small size, be a really low weight, um, to never be fat, to, like, go to your little spin classes, but also never sweat (laughs) and just, like... Uh, keep it all together. Never eat too much. 
When I started strength training, that was a lot of hurdles to get over mm -hmm. because I didn't come from like a really athletic background. It was not something that I was good at or felt preordained to do. I think when people take strength training or exercise to an extreme, it's almost, it's also really about the mental aspect of it too. It's like, how preoccupying is it for you? Right. And I've written a little bit about this because it's like, we can't actually be in anyone's head and, and like know truly how little they do or don't think about it. So when you have somebody who's like super, super lean and they only eat fruit plates and they're like, I'm in the best shape of my life and I, I love my life and it's great. And it's kind of like, I don't know. It seems like you're maybe not eating enough and like you work out twice a day every day. And uh, I don't know how <laughs> happy you can actually be. But like I would attest for myself that mm -hmm. I really don't think about it very much. Like I know what it's like to think about food a lot from right. back in my disordered eating days when it was it was just like consuming my mind thoughts of of different foods and like whether I could eat them and wanting to eat them, but like I can't eat them and just like going around and around and around right. for hours and, and days. And now I don't think about that stuff at all. And that's like a night and day difference. <laughs> there's a there's a tough part for people to wrap their heads around, which is just like, oh, I have to if I'm working out, I have to eat more in order to mm. maintain. It right? really is. It's yeah. very hard. It's very hard for uh, women, especially. Right. Um, and I encounter a lot of women who are interested in strength training, or especially interested in like the physical results that are possible. Um, but we'll sort of have an exceptionalism mentality of like, oh, I'm going to like lift like this person who, um, like has a huge ass and like abs and, and like capped delts and all of these things, but I'm only going to eat like the same 1500 calories a day that I have been doing because right, I right. think I also need to lose body fat. And it's like, these things don't go together. You're yeah. trying to do too many things at once. They want to do the workouts, but they just can't bring themselves to get over that hump. And it's really sad. When I got sober, like newly two weeks sober, I expected I'd be able to do 100,000 burpees in a row and toss monster truck tires across a lake. The possibilities were endless. Yet, I was just a super ordinary 42-year-old man who had the lung capacity of a pack-a-day smoker and the core strength of a baby walrus. I was kind of trying to forge a new identity, right? So what I was going to do was start martial arts training because I'd always been curious about it. It's like one of those things where just like, oh, I always wanted to own a motorcycle. And I was just like, oh, I always wanted to do martial arts thing, but I always thought martial arts kids were, were weird growing up, so I never did it, <laughs> right? Yeah, so we've heard shares from a lot of people so far, and this time it's my turn to share. Music punctuation. In the first few months of my sobriety, I wanted to join a tennis league, play golf once a week, run a 5K, a 10K, and box in a gym regularly. I also wanted to be able to bench press 225 pounds more than eight times and learn archery. Ready, set, go. 
all my goals were reasonable and attainable, but required discipline and a humility that I did not yet possess. Still, I went after it. I started taking tennis lessons twice a month. I got decent enough. I began to use a boxing trainer once per week. I was working out in a crappy gym four to five times a week and slowly adding more and more plates to my bench press. But I wanted to do more. Martial arts was something I'd always been interested in, but I'd never tried. But now, as a newly sober person, it made sense. It was the perfect marriage of my newfound quest for spirituality, physical transformation, and strength. Got the opportunity when an AA friend invited me to his martial arts class. I showed up early on a Saturday morning for my first class. It was some discipline of Kung Fu that I don't remember. So the teacher, Sifu, recognized it was my first class and had me work out with five-year-olds. I did this willingly, as clearly they knew more than I did. So I had no problem learning proper punches and stances from them. Sifu Paula was impressed. Her subtle vote of confidence was enough for me to advance myself to a weekday class. She said these were more challenging and taught by Sifu Roger, the guy that owned the gym. But clearly, I was humble and enlightened and ready to reach the next level. From the moment I walked into that Wednesday morning class, it was clear I was out of my depth. It was all men, mostly bigger, more athletic men than me, who were casually doing splits and kicking heavy bags with intimidating thuds. They were all dressed in what appeared to be flowy black ninja gear, some with very triumphant-looking belt colors. I was wearing gray sweatpants from Ross and a Temple of the Dog t-shirt. The warm-ups were exhausting. All sorts of crazy spider-style push-ups and spinning around on our elbows and opening up our hip bones and other physically impossible contortions. Somehow I got through it and was even barking my exhales and keeping my wrists solid on the punches in no time. I was hooked. And before the class was even over, my goals went from getting through this without passing out to wondering how quickly I'd get a double black belt in Shaolin Kung Fu. At the end of this class, everyone gathered around the heavy bag, sweaty and high off their own exertion, to do what I assume was their usual final ceremonial exercise. Here's what's supposed to happen. Each member throws their body against the bag while Sifu Roger swings it back and forth. And once you make contact with the bag, you, you wrap your legs around it and you hold yourself up with your core. Now, if you start to drop, the rest of the class was there to help you, to encourage you, to not let you fall. Now, despite my physical limitations and zero training, I thought I was ready. I was ready to be cleansed of all my leftover drugs and booze and cigarettes and bad decisions, to finally be free and welcomed into this new brotherhood. Friends, I would love to say that this moment was the one that began my journey towards a double black belt, and that I now walk through this world with supreme confidence, head held high, but I cannot. Instead, here's what happened. 
I flung my whole body against the swinging heavy bag, looking like a dead crab getting tossed back into the sea. And as my crotch hit the bag with such pathetic, clumsy force, I farted. I farted so loudly that I startled myself and fell right off the bag. Not enough to hit the floor, mind you, because there were all these karate men there to catch me. In hindsight, if they had let me fall, it would have allowed me to keep some dignity. But no, no, there I went, hoisted back up onto the slippery bag by all these strange ninjas as I guiltily looked up at them, cradled in a sad baptismal pose. I swung there for a brief moment until the Sifu mercifully told them to let me down. When my friend from AA asked how it went, I just told him, it's not for me. And we moved on. Maybe someday I'll go back again, but not today, not this year. Perhaps once everyone in that class has died. And did you never go back after that? Never. Wow. Never again. Yeah. That was the type of failure that I don't think is, I I couldn't overcome it, right? Yeah. But I probably should have. I probably should have, you know? Well, seems like it wasn't just that one, like you were doing great and then like that broke you the whole way. Like you were already kind (laughs) of teetering on the edge of like, I don't feel really right here. And then that was like the straw. That broke the camel's back. I was willing. I was willing to kind of muscle through that. But your suggestion was that I should have gone back. I don't know. No, I think I'm saying like, I think if you were, if it were like the right thing for you, yeah, I think that would not have been like the totally destructive experience that it was. Hmm. You know, okay. it would Got not it. have all crumbled if you were like otherwise really connecting with it. I, I, that's sort of like my armchair gut impression. Maybe I'm wrong, but maybe, maybe I think it was possibly not quite right. And that was like the more, more indicative of like how you felt on the inside about it. Mm -hmm. than you might be willing to not even willing, but like realize maybe. Right. All right. Well, that doesn't make me feel better, but <laughs> thank you for trying. It doesn't make you feel better that it was like not just not the right thing for you, period. And it was like, that, hey. see that I come, I come to like a neutrality thing here where it's like, it's not right. really yeah, but about I mean, what, you. What you. Okay. So I mean, what you're saying is ultimately just like, if I, if I, if I, there is something that I really want to do that I should really just stick to it and get over that, like that emotional hurdle. No, not that you should, but I think that like your feeling for it motivation to do it would have like pulled you through and past that experience probably yeah okay you're right out of all casey's advice this hit me the hardest if karate had really been the right thing for me i would have found a way to go back which was tough to admit i was expecting to half-ass my way to a black belt kind of my old behavior instant gratification. 
I could have even found another karate class, but I wanted to be fixed quickly. I wanted to be something new. I was still delusional. I'm not doing drugs anymore, so why can't I break a brick with my head tomorrow? That sort of thing. I actually had to do the work. But with anything new, there's a fear. Walking into a place for the first time and feeling exposed. But wherever you want to change, you have to get over some of that. No matter if it's a gym or a 12-step meeting. And the first time I walked into a gym when I was in early recovery, I was really intimidated. I mean, it's kind of like you are a phony. We all are when we first go to a gym. We all at some point didn't know what we're doing. Um, And I forget if it was in this newsletter that I said this, like some people do have the benefit of like having a little gym mentor who like takes them under their wing and teaches them everything that they could ever need to know. Um, But most people don't. And I think we need to bring in the mentality of like any going anywhere new is like embarrassing and scary. You started a new school. It's embarrassing and scary. You started a new job. It's embarrassing and scary unless you're like, I don't know, someone hired you to be like the star golden whatever person there, then maybe you walk in and you're fine. But like, I think generally speaking, that's a scary imposter feeling experience. And, um, but people feel especially so, I feel like, about the gym. I'm not really sure why. I think it's because most people like don't have any real experience um, working out. But the good news is every time you go, that feeling will be less. And it all comes back to like having the generosity with yourself of allowing yourself to be new at something and learning something and failing at something. And you will fail, quote unquote, at going to the gym for the first time. You're like going to stand in the wrong spot and be in somebody's way or like steal somebody's dumbbells by accident (laughs) being in someone's way is just like so bad aj you have like a very you have like a low mortification threshold i feel like maybe you're very mortified by some things here's the thing here's what i want to know like do you think the people who would like judge you for farting during this activity (laughs) are like right are like better than you if they if they like even remember that they don't probably i hope not i hope that like my my pictures on the wall at the gym just like yeah well i know you like i'm sure you know that intellectually but like emotionally no, yeah of course not i mean i but i remember i remember looking up the one guy who clearly knew that i did fart and he wasn't looking at me in the eyes like we he oh could my not, god he could not he was just like, oh, man, just just fall to the floor. Just end this for me. I mean, it's I like. Because it's awkward for everyone else because everyone else is holding course. a man who just farted. Oh, my God. I mean, <laughs> I'm not far. saying what you did was like perfect and, and great. But like, I just think when we're talking about the idea of like going to a gym and like you're doing embarrassing stuff. Yeah. Other people are thinking about you so much less. Like, this is this is also, like, not a revelatory thing yeah. for me to say. But, like, other people are, are not thinking about you as much as you are thinking about you ever. Absolutely, yes. And they're especially not thinking about you, I don't know, when, like, you don't have really anything to do with them. Like, people at the gym don't right. really have anything to do with each other. Everyone fears the, like, gym bro who's going to come over and, like, 
explain everything to them or be yeah. mean to them for like yeah. using the equipment wrong or something like that. But it's like statistically, that's not most people for one. Right. For the other, like that person is objectively an asshole. And when you yeah. don't enjoy them doing that, that's like that's a correct reaction. Yeah. And they're the ones who are wrong. <laughs> I kind of try to embrace those moments of like immediately after a breakup or like you have some sort of, I don't know, yeah. personal disaster of some kind, get laid off right. from a job. It like, yeah. it sucks, of course, but yeah. like it means your, your sort of circle of focus shrinks so much and you're just like, okay, right. like one meal at a time, one getting out of bed at a time, one day at a time, sort of like you, right. you have to, you have to, but like also I try to lean into just the incremental, like smallest possible circle right. of awareness yeah. of those periods. And I think going to the gym can be like that as well. I think a lot about people's like training backgrounds, like I hate to say look at AJ, but like think of somebody <laughs> like AJ who has this sort of like ideal in his past where he's like trying to live up to it and it's giving uh, him all this tension about not living up to it, wearing the wrong shorts, having uneven traps, these kinds of things for people who've never been to the gym before. Your brain is fresh of these ideas. You have no preconceived notions really about yourself at least. So that's mm -hmm. like something to maybe reflect on. Okay, okay, enough, enough about that. It's embarrassing. We're trying to provide a service in this podcast. So what do you wear at a gym when you don't feel like you should be in one? Casey told me she had to learn how to stop trying to fit in and just take up her own space. When I started going to the gym, I was like layered up. But at this time, women were just starting to wear like the cute leggings and sports bras, combos, and I was like, I would like to wear that, but I would be terrified to wear that at the gym that I was going to, which is a very, like, black iron, lots of big, sweaty guys with huge arms and little legs, and there was, like, a firehouse right around the block, so, like, um, very intimidating crowd for me. Right. Uh, so I was, you know, I think I wore leggings, but then, like, shorts on top of it and, like, <laughs> a shirt and then another shirt, and just, like, I had a lot of Right. layers going on um and i think a lot of people will wear you know baggy clothes to the gym because they don't want anybody to like look at them yeah which is fine and totally legitimate so there's not a right or wrong answer but like i'm i worked my way up to the point where i was comfortable wearing kind of anything in the gym and that was mm -hmm. very um liberating mostly mostly like leggings and fitted clothing just for the practical purpose of like you need to there's a lot of um if you're working on form and like working on yeah. strength you need to be able to see what you're doing and like the more clothes you're wearing the more stuff is in the way of that you can kind of wear whatever you want and that's really nice so there you go there's the service I can provide to you. But what I also want to cop to is this. I freely admit I have body issues, perhaps dysmorphia, more of a fear of looking weak. And most of my adult life, I wanted to look strong, but I was never actually strong. 
My priorities have changed. My mind is clearer and I have a general idea of how to be better prepared for some of the life on life's terms stuff that happens in sobriety. I don't have to be the dude who wears tight t-shirts anymore. I just want to be stronger. Next time on Really Good Shares, we're going to speak with legit best-selling author Mary H.K. Choi. Mary and I have bonded over our complicated relationships with our fathers, so we'll be sharing that damage with you. Enjoy. Just real quickly, I want to thank you to everyone who has been listening and for the great response to the Swamp Dog songs, because that's a very important part of the show. And special shout out to Eric Shuck who was curious about if there was a full version of Let My Love Open the Door available. It's not. (laughs) We only have license for like a minute of these things, unfortunately. But if we do get hundreds of millions of downloads, I'm sure we can afford a full album. So just keep that in mind. Keep passing this along, sharing it, etc. And now, here's Swamp Dog doing the buzzcocks. can see it and it seems so real I can feel it and it seems so real I can taste it and it seems so real I can hear it so why 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 Can't I touch it? So why, 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 why? Can't I touch it? Why can't I touch, 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 Why can't I touch it? Good Shares is hosted by me, AJ Delario. We're produced by Julian Weller, Jackie Huntington, and Jessica Kreinchich, with production assistance from Lindsay Hoffman. Our theme music is Everything You'll Ever Need by Swamp Dog. And in this episode, Swamp covered Why Can't I Touch It by the Buzzcocks. Our executive producers are myself and Julian Weller. Special thanks to Mangesh Ticketer and Bethany Macaluso. Extra special thanks to Casey Johnston for sharing her wisdom and her motivation. If you liked what you heard here, check out thesmallbow.com. That's bow as in bow and arrow. Wonderful. We'll be back next time with author Mary H.K. Choi talking about family, detachment, just in time for Christmas season. Yikes. Oh, the dojo is the place?
I can't say dojo. That's it. That's it. That sounds like I know what I'm talking about, though. No, I don't. I mean, it doesn't matter. We're not karate people. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff. Grown Up Stuff. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela Yee is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. <laughs> That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yimby's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B.